1: Or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction.
0: And now, we go into the thick of it.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
2: Erin Addisons
1: On American Family Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And our brother Richard and Jay Mack are on tap with us to help us navigate the show. Um, I am looking forward to today's interview. In fact, I've been trying to talk with Dr. Erwin Lutzer um, since, I guess was it 2 years ago? I don't know. 2 years maybe. I I don't know. When I lose track of time. Um didn't Well, we, no. I, didn't we have him on before to talk about the book? Did you have him on? Maybe I when did. I was on maternity leave. <laughs> maybe I did. Did you? <gasps> behind my back. No, nah, it wouldn't have been behind your back. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you'd have known anyway, about it. Sorry. I, that was kind of sensational. I but we had him on. it was it was fun for me. No, I I have been wanting to talk to him since the Church in Babylon. Like maybe I I wanted to me. talk to him about that book and If you did talk to him about that book, (laughs) I'm going to hold off on saying I'm mad at you about it.
2: Yeah, don't be mad.
1: But if No, I will be. But if that's what happens. Anyway, no, he joins us today. We're going to talk about his recent book, We Will Not Be Silenced. We Will Not Be Silenced, Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. This is um, the kind of book that, as you know, you listen to this program, that will the great night eat for breakfast. Like, this is what... (laughs) Um, at least when Will's not intermittent fasting. Like, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put all your information out there. But if you're having breakfast, this is what you'd eat. It's what I'd eat. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I want you to just buckle up. It's so much of what we talk about. Like, guys, we take um, sort of like leisurely jogs around these topics that are covered in this book um, mm-hmm. based on the stories as they arise. This is what we're doing on a daily basis. Right. What Dr. Lutzer has done is he has taken all of it and put it in one book. It's it, like anyways, <laughs> so we will have a conversation around this how we got here, you know, what is the role of the church today, the role of the family. What what we're witnessing happen in front of our very eyes. There's so many Christians who are asking the question, how do we get here? Why is this happening? What can we do? Yeah. And Dr. Lutzer answers all of those questions. And uh l- look, let me just tell you something. Um I intend to by God's grace, be as thorough as I can in like the 45 minutes that we have, we cannot exhaust all of the questions, but I'm going to do my best to get to some of them that are like the most pressing. Mm-hmm. Some of the answers, at least based on what I have read as I was skimming the book, I have not read the entirety of the book. I was skimming the book. I'm going to read the book in its entirety and I'm, I'm going to go through it. Like I went through the church in Babylon, by the way, which I highly recommend. Yeah. Um, But I think some of the answers may offend some people Hmm. because as you read through this book and you look at how we've gotten here, Christians have to think and have to have to consider this introspectively. We have to we have to say, okay, whoa, um, what role have we played in this? Yeah. Yeah. You you understand what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna discuss some of those things. And even as I was reading this or skimming, because I don't I'm reading but also skimming, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, some of it I'm I'm going ooh, (laughs) it's gonna be controversial just a little bit. But but man, we have to ask, what have we as Christians done to the family? Yeah, what have we done to the family? It's important. And and. You know, Doctor Lutzer touches on this in this book, and it almost harkens back. You remember when I was talking about Rod Dreher's book, "Live Not by Lies," mm-hmm. and how he said that the family the family has to come become like these um, these uh, sort of like. Uh, protection cells Uh these you know like these syndicates if you will where you are indoctrinating your kids you're training your kids you are protecting your kids and then those kids fully trained and fully indoctrinated are able to push back against the culture outside of the family yeah dr lutzer kind of touches on this not in those exact words and the reason i bring that up and, and we'll talk about it again is because it's so important for us to understand that man the things that the Lord has given us right when we investigate the scriptures and, and allow ourselves to be thoroughly changed by what we're reading and by the spirit of God who indwells us. Um, there should be a commonality of like our communication, mm. right? Like we should be able to see God's manifold wisdom. We should be able to see what God had in mind um, and then hopefully by God's grace, not not find ourselves rebelling against it, but embracing it as necessary. Not as a luxury, but as necessary. Yeah. So anyways, we're going to talk about that. I'm excited. Um, I, I began reading the book. I'm not done. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then I'll let you know my thoughts um, on Facebook when I when I come ac- across things like this that I spend a lot of time highlighting in and underlining and writing in the margins. When I spend a lot of time doing that on a book, I usually post about it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't just post everything I'm reading. Like I don't just post pictures of my food. You know what I mean? Unless it's something that's so extraordinary that I'm like, hey, guys, try that. You know, <laughs> same with the book. If if I'm like, whoa, whoa, just turn after turn after turn, then I will let you know. So yeah. just stay tuned for that because I'm not done with the book. I can't tell you for sure everything, but just watch for that. All right. So that's coming up in the next segment. Yes. Um, Next two segments. Let me throw this story out in the in the moments that we have. Unless, okay. Will the Great, there's something pressing that you wanted to say.
2: No, no, that's good. Let's let's okay. let's go.
1: Okay, so this is really interesting. I'm not sure if we can have a huge discussion around it, but it's a current event, and I thought it was worth talking about. So Inc. Inc. magazine, I uh-huh. think is how you say it, INC period. Inc. magazine. <laughs> I don't read. Um Inc. <laughs> magazine drops Dave Ramsey's company from its best workplaces list. Really? Because okay. the company is facing a lawsuit. Now Wait until I tell you what the lawsuit is. Okay. Let me just get into the story, though. Here we go. Editorial leaders at the New York City-based Inc. Magazine have axed, axed, A-X-E-D, not asked a question, have axed evangelical financial guru Dave Ramsey's Ramsey Solutions from its 2020 Best Workplaces list after the company revealed in court documents um, connected to an ongoing lawsuit that a pregnant employee was fired for having premarital sex. Now, here we go. This is what the the website or the the yeah, this group Inc magazine said. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's what they said. Quote: Ramsey Solutions was named a 2020 Inc Best Workplaces Honoree having met objective criteria through an application and employee survey process. Ramsey has the right to manage its business in accordance with its values and the court system will determine the merits of the lawsuit. But they continued upon learning about the company's quote, righteous living in quote policy and how it is applied. We believe that it is mm-hmm. incompatible with our standards mm. of organizational excellence and have made the editorial decision to remove the company from our 2020 best workplaces list.
2: Well wow.
1: now, now listen This is what happened. Ramsey Solutions has a company conduct handbook, okay? And in that handbook, they say the following, quote, the image of Ramsey Solutions is held out to be Christian. Should a team member engage in behavior not consistent with traditional Judeo-Christian values or teaching, it would damage the image and the value of our goodwill and our brand. If this should occur, the team member would be subject to review, probation, or termination. Now listen, there's a woman who actually files a lawsuit against Ramsey Solutions, Mm -hmm. who when she learned that she was 12 weeks pregnant, she went to her human resources department and wanted to submit all of the paperwork for her upcoming maternity leave and all of her legally protected accommodations. Well, the head of human resources is like, wait a minute. You're (laughs) expecting a baby? Um, You're not married. Wait, we have have a company, like conduct policy, that prohibits extramarital sexual relations or premarital sexual relations, among probably other things, if you would read the handbook in its entirety, which I have not. But here's the crazy thing. So they say... You can't continue working here. It's a violation of company policy. And she sues them.
3: Mm.
1: Crazy mm. thing is uh, this website or Inc. magazine or whatever, they say, no, you shouldn't do that to somebody. Mm. You shouldn't. And, and here's what I was thinking about. And I, I want to get your take on this. Yeah. Here's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about all of the companies who terminate people for things that they've said and written like 10 years ago. Right because they say it's a bad look for their company. <laughs> guys, guys, we're in a bad place. Yeah. We're in a So here is Dave Ramsey, Ramsey Solutions saying, "No, we are a Christian company. Mm-hmm. We are a Christian organization. We adhere to Judeo-Christian teaching and values. We have a a code of conduct if you will." that if a person violates this and, and and by the way by the way according to this article that i found at the christian post by the way there have been other employees that have done the same thing and they some of them have resigned before they were terminated mm. once it was learned or mm-hmm. revealed that mm-hmm. they were engaging in what the bible calls sexual immorality right so here's my my question is
3: mm-hmm.
1: we are in like this is topsy turvy you can fire someone mm-hmm. Uh, Teen Vogue, for something that they tweeted out 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. because you just say that's not a good look, right? And still maintain your position in society. But if you're Ramsey Solutions, if you're Christian, and the violation is against God's law, and you take action, then you're a bad company. That's a bad company. And you are actually operating in a manner that is not consistent with our values.
2: Yeah. Mm. Well... (laughs) <laughs> well, when the first thing th- that uh, come to mind when I hear this story is Matthew, chapter five, verse 10.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. <laughs> There's the kingdom of heaven. I mm-hmm. think this, this is where we are, where, you know, because of the stand uh, that Christians would take based upon the Bible. You know, that's going to be persecution. That's going to be, you know, oh, you guys are archaic. You guys are backwoods. You know, you guys standing on the word of God, though. But this is what is going to be done more and more and yeah. more. Like I sent you the story about the, the, the Christian colleges and universities, like the, these former students who are suing, you know, uh, want to sue based upon because Christian universities and colleges have a certain belief system that it it, to them, exclude, you know, homosexuals and, and mm. things like. It, I think this is going to happen more and more. Yeah, you know, I think we are yeah. at the tip of the iceberg. I, I, what we're seeing now is going to increase, and we have to have our backbone strong. That's right. You know, as we go That's forward, right. we have to.
1: Be, li- listen, because it's going, it is going to reach the point of agony for many people. It is going to reach the point where you truly will be. If you have not found yourself in this position already, considering and agonizing over your livelihood and the profession of your faith and the consistent profession of your faith. And I think what is required is that people have already Christians have already determined what their response is going to be in that moment before they're in that situation. Mm. We look. Well, you got already I just, know. Yeah. You got you <laughs> <laughs> You can't get prepared in the moment. We have no need to step aside and discuss this exactly. matter. Exactly. Okay? That's that's got to be what it is. Right? And and it and it cannot be that you go into this situation sort of with a a conditional posture before the Lord. Right? Where you're like, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going in, but I know that, you know, based on the Lord's track record, you know, he he saves, he preserves people in the fire." Mm. No, I think you got to go in as the boys went into the fire with, you know, he can save us. But if not, (laughs) but if not, right, that's got to be your position. Yeah, he can preserve my job. He can preserve my career. He can preserve my platform. But if not, what is the thing that is of eternal significance and of eternal value? Right. It is the gospel. It is the truth. Not only of the claims of Christ. But what we say, what we say about the claims of Christ, yeah. this is the truth. It is backed up by the word of God. Yeah. The word <laughs> that we are submitting ourselves to, even when we say we have a business mm. or a you know organizational code of conduct. Yeah. If you're Christian, it must be anchored in the word of God. That's right. Guys, I, we'll be watching it. <laughs> we'll be watching it to see what happens. But this man... It's going to reach the point of agony if it has not already for so many. It's going to reach the point of agony. All right. Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. When we come back, the bold declaration, we will not be silenced. I know you're a
2: rainbow and I know you can
1: Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American yeah, Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki.
2: And I'm Will, and that's Mercy Me with Even If.
1: All right, I want to jump right into our interview with Dr. Erwin Lutzer because I, I want to make the most of all the time that we um, that we can get, right? Yes. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer is Pastor Emeritus of the Moody Bible Church, where he served as senior pastor for 36 years. He's the award-winning author of One Minute After You Die and Hitler's Cross, as well as feature, the featured speaker on three radio programs, Heard, on more than 750 national and international outlets. He and his wife, Rebecca, have three grown children and eight grandchildren and live in the Chicago area. And he joins us today to talk about his most recent book, Uh, We Will Not Be Silenced. Mm -hmm. I I also um, asked if we might be able to talk a little bit about the church in Babylon, Uh, just another one of those incredible offerings that I think, man, it's just right on. And so anyway, Dr. Luser, thank you so much for joining us.
0: I'm so glad that I can be with you today. Thanks for inviting me.
1: So one of the things that I said, just as we were kind of setting up and and preparing to talk to you, is that you know we look at cultural issues, Will the Great, my husband and I, we look at cultural issues, and then we respond to those cultural issues through a biblical lens, right? Not just saying we think the Bible is good, but asking the question, how do we live it out every single day? Um, When I look at this book, we will not be silenced. I feel like you have taken sort of um, a jog around like all of the cultural issues <laughs> that we are dealing with right now and put them in one book, but you've gone to the beginning of how we've gotten here and kind of worked your way through. And I think that this is going to be one of those like really incredible offerings. That's going to be a blessing to the entire body of Christ. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Um, How has the church in America gotten to where she is?
0: Well, you know, the reason I wrote the book is when I began to realize that the radical left in America does not believe that America can be fixed. Mm -hmm. It has to be destroyed and rebuilt upon a cultural Marxist foundation. And cultural Marxism says we can bring about Marxism without a bloody revolution like in Russia and China. We can do that incrementally. And we can bring about a revolution, and on the other side of the revolution, there will be income equality. There will be the end of white supremacy and the end of racism. And all of the things and all of the benefits of the Marxist state will be evident. And if you vote for the right people, that helps as well. (laughs) So when I began to see this, my book, We Will Not Be Silenced, applies this to the vilification of our history. Mm. You know, one of the reasons I wrote it also, it was a side reason, is so that parents might understand, why is it that when I send my child to university, why do they come back hating America? Mm-hmm. So, the point is, the vilification of our history, why? Marxism always has to vilify the past to give a justification for the future. You know, when Marxism came to Russia, cities were renamed statues were toppled and so forth because there's going to be a new regime and the past has to be vilified. And then I apply it to race and show how critical race theory and Mm -hmm. the racial conflict, people have to understand this, the racial conflicts that we're facing today are intentional. They are driven about by a Marxist view that you have the oppressed and the oppressors. And they must be in conflict, hopefully, that the oppressed might be able to gain cultural dominance over the, impress- over the oppressors. So this is all deliberate. It's based on Marxism. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, I also apply it to freedom of speech. Marxists believe that if we have freedom of speech, capitalists will win. And remember, they're the oppressors.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so what we need to do is to make sure that only the oppressed get an opportunity to speak. And then if I might just add this, Mm -hmm. I have a chapter, for example, on how propaganda works. The purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that um, they might understand that no matter how much information, counter-information, is presented, they will not change their minds. And then I Mm -hmm. apply it to the destruction of the family Mm. and socialism and so forth. But underlying all this, and I was interested in your opening comments is that it sweeps across all of these issues is this whole idea that cultural Marxism is the answer to our problems.
1: Yeah. I'm, and I want to, I want to go back to that as sort of like the the basis and the foundation for our talk here, because I think that what people have uh, Christians have failed to understand is that this neo-Marxism is not limited to talk about um, economies and the type of government that you will exist under. Ultimately, that's where it goes. But when we talk about cultural Marxism, we are talking about creating a perpetual underclass. And so in order to do that, it can't be limited to finances. It's got to expand. So it's got to apply to gender. It's got to apply to your familiar background. It's got to apply to ethnicity. And so what I often call Uh, Dr. Luther, the race to the bottom, now what we see manifesting in our culture is that everyone is sort of like clamoring to be a part of this oppressed class so that they are quote-unquote succeeding in America. And even this has infiltrated the church, has it not?
0: It really has. And you know, to your point, Saul Alinsky here in Chicago in the 1970s, who was a Marxist, he was opposed to any kind of improvement. He was opposed to success because, you know, he said to his followers, don't solve problems, use them. Because Mm -hmm. his view is that we can apply Marxist principles to race. Now, (laughs) Karl Marx wasn't thinking of that. He was thinking primarily of economics, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned it. But now it can be applied to race and it can be applied to every division of society. Critical race theory, of course, you know, you have the transgender, you mm-hmm. have all of the um, neutral language in terms of he and she and they. Mm. All that <laughs> people need to understand is to confuse us and to paralyze us. People yeah. are afraid to open their mouth because they might use the wrong pronoun. Come on. So all of that is brought about, and the conflict, between the races has to be unending. There's no desire for reconciliation. And success, Mm -hmm. in the minds of the Marxist would be defeat. The conflict has to continue. And then it continues under the guise of social justice, which Mm -hmm. sounds so good, but most (laughs) of what is taught under social justice is not biblical justice. And that's another distinction I make in the book.
2: You know, one of the things that I always say is that the church uh, serves at the, as the final frontier for, for all of this, it, It's mm-hmm. the conquering of the church. And we see that these type of ideals have entered into to the church through the seminaries, mm-hmm. um, universities and things like that. How do we even begin, because it's, it's, it seems like it is, it's exploding right now with critical yes. race theory and things like that. How do we begin to like stand up against that and turn that stuff away?
0: Well, one of the things that we have to do is to make sure that people understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, in my book, as you mentioned, uh, We Will Not Be Silenced, I talk about Black Lives Matter. Do Black Lives Matter? Of course they matter. Mm-hmm. All Black Lives Matter. But the organization that takes that mantra is Marxist, and mm-hmm. that's why it believes in the dissolution of the family. Right. By the way, I hope that in this interview we can talk about that, why that's Absolutely. important to Marxism. Yes. But the point is that what you really have then is this whole idea that um, the family has to be destroyed. How do we stand up against it? We must help people to understand many people bowed to Black Lives Matter with the best of intention thinking they were talking about justice. Mm -hmm. But they were not talking about biblical justice. So we have to help people to draw lines and to say, we can support this, but we can't support that. Critical race theory claims to be social justice. What I tell people is when you hear terms like social justice or one of the most favorite terms of Marxism, equality, (laughs) What you have to do is to say that that's the label that's on the box, but you have to open the box to find out what it's about. So today the word equality is used, and justice, equality, marriage equality, which is same-sex marriage, income equality, which is socialism. You have environmental equality as the Green New Deal. So we have to unpack these terms. And understand that they don't mean what people think they mean. That's right. And then the other thing that's on my heart is to help people draw lines in the sand and say, "Here we will stand, and we will take the consequences."
1: Man, and and I would I would just say you you look at the constantly changing terms that we have to consistently define and redefine because what we're doing is we're trying to navigate a culture where they are redefining terms but they are using the terms in hopes that you will be operating on the previous definition. So like they're expecting that you won't know that they have redefined it and that you will just mm-hmm. speak to that. Another one of those would be equity. Now, um, and this is incredibly lucrative, that people are hired to teach mm-hmm. in inclusion and equity and diversity and all equity of those
3: directors things. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it's just insane. But what I want to do, Dr. Lutzer, I want to double back to talking about the family because there are five cultural institutions that you kind of outline in your book. And why is it important? Why do cultural Marxists have these institutions in their crosshairs? So when we talk about um, social institutions, political institutions, educational, religious, and familial institutions, why are these important? With a special emphasis, if you don't mind, on the family.
0: All right the key to Marxism is oppression. So what happens is he looks at the family and says it is a unit of oppression. Men oppress their wives. Parents oppress their children. They take them to church, and God is the ultimate oppressor. Mm. So what you have to do is to get rid of oppression. By the way, once you understand this, everything is clarified. This is a bit of a side note, but why is it that Among the radical left, you want to open the prisoners, open Mm. the prisons and Mm -hmm. send the prisoners out into society or defund the police. It is because of Marxism. Marxism says the reason that people commit crimes is that they are oppressed. We have to remove the oppression and then they'll live together with a high degree of morality. It denies original sin. Mm. But in answer to your question... So Marx, and especially Lenin, later emphasized that uh, what we have to do is to destroy the nuclear family. It is a unit of oppression. Furthermore, what happens is rich families pass on their inheritance to the children, and that's not equality. So the way you do it is wives should work outside of the home. Children should be raised by the state so that they can be properly indoctrinated into Mm. the wonderful world of Marxism and atheism and so forth. And uh, in this way, you have, therefore, the Marxist vision can increase. So the destruction of the family is absolutely important. And, you know, in the book, I also have a chapter on the sexualization of children, and I point out, by the way, just to show you what the parents are up against, that the cell phone in your teenager's hand will do more to inform his or her worldview than an hour of church or an hour of Bible study. So parents need to fight this battle on multiple fronts. And then I go into that chapter and talk about what is being taught today in our school system and the kinds of dilemmas that parents and teachers face as Christians
1: no I I I think brother Luther this is one of those moments where I mean we have to look at ourselves in the mirror as Christians as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and I think often it's very easy for us to sort of point outwardly and and to say well that's the reason that we're in this situation but based on what you have just listed here alone to say nothing of what is in the book that we've not discussed what we have the history right in front of us, we're watching the decline of the family. There's a certain responsibility that Christian households have to take for where we are. Like the allure of what cultural Marxism has offered, um, a, a type of women's liberation, a freedom from, you know, saying that the husband is the head of the family or a freedom from, you know, the laborious work of rearing children and training them in godliness. Like, the world offered a freedom, and unfortunately, many professing Christians took that freedom.
0: Well, it's the easiest route. You know, you simply let uh, the culture raise your child by the use of technology and the school system. Now, there are parents who are listening who can't maybe homeschool their children. They might not be able to send them to faith-based schools. And yet I say to them, God holds you accountable for your children. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to work with the public school. You have to make sure that if they are wrongly indoctrinated, that that can't happen. You have to pray for wisdom. Hitler was absolutely right when he said that he that controls the youth controls the future. Mm -hmm. And God is going to hold us accountable for the education of our children. And that is becoming increasingly difficult, not just for students, but also for teachers. You know, in the book, We Will Not Be Silenced, I give the example of um, a school teacher who said, I um, have to understand, he said, that I've been told it is not enough for me to simply tolerate same-sex marriage. If I don't celebrate it, I could lose my job.
3: Mm. So he has to
0: draw a line in the sand, and Christians have to rally around and say, we're going to stand with you during this time of transition and challenge.
1: When we talk about the sexualization of children and what is happening in today's um, schools and institutions of higher learning, uh, we're really talking about, as George Lukacs, Marxist himself, the late George Lucox described as cultural terrorism. That is that is what is happening. It is a cultural terrorism. Um, when we get back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Erwin Lutzer, the book, We Will Not Be Silenced. Uh, stay right there.
3: His name is Jesus. He's a real Welcome back to
1: Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We really do appreciate you listening. Um, our guest today is Dr. Erwin Lutzer. His book, We Will Not Be Silenced, is our topic of conversation. I'm Nikki,
2: And I'm Will. And that was great guy, Jennifer Meckle.
1: Uh, One of the things that we often talk about on this show, we talk about the gospel and contending for the faith that in every generation, in every generation, there has been a target or the gospel has been in the crosshairs of the culture. Uh, But faithful men and women have held firm to the one faith that was delivered to us and that we pass that on to our children intact. And so, anyway, even as we talk about what's happening in our culture at the moment, we cannot deny the fact that it is an attack on the gospel, it's an attack on the truth of scripture, but Christians must continue contending. Um, I want to go back to our conversation with Dr. Lutzer, and one of the points that I think is important for us to make is that in the midst of everything we're talking about, we talk about cultural Marxism, and we talk about um, dividing people down every possible line. I mean, if (laughs) if there is a place where you can separate people, our culture is doing that today, and and so much so that even as a Christian, you try to find your voice, but you are afraid to speak out because last you checked, um, that was okay to say, but you're not sure because you didn't check this morning. So you don't want to say anything because today might be the day that they decide that's not culturally accepted and, and you are canceled. Dr. Lutzer, what must a Christian do?
0: Well, you've raised a number of different interesting scenarios and issues. What the Christian church needs to do is to learn what it learned in the past. Mm. Throughout history, the church has never had the freedoms that we have enjoyed in America. That That's was right. an anomaly that was begun when this nation and when the Western world came into being. So if you look at church history, you discover that without freedom of religion, people were willing to stand for the truth. When Luther yes. said, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, he was supposed to be put to death. Now he wasn't, but he was expecting to. And you have throughout history, the whole history of martyrdom. Mm-hmm. So the question is whether or not we are going to continue to remain faithful and take the heat, take the criticism, open ourselves up to criticism, but really considered a badge of honor. Not We should not be angry, but we should be strong. We should not be vengeful, but um, nevertheless, we have to be vigilant. So that's our calling, and the centrifugal force of everything, as you have properly identified it, ultimately is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in the book that we're talking about, We Will Not Be Silenced, my last chapter is based on the words of Jesus to the church at Sardis, Strengthen what remains. Mm. And in that chapter, I go through and I talk about what I think Jesus might say to the American church today, but to hurry to the point, even in this letter, in which he said, You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Even though Jesus says that, he still says, But there are some of you in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And you shall walk with, walk with me in white for you are worthy. And now he makes us worthy, of course. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. But the point is God always has a remnant. And I think that you yeah. hinted at that a few moments ago that there are always those who are willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I sensed that when it comes to critical race theory, social justice, and so forth, and all those issues, that the church was being shamed into silence on those things that are unique. And I make the statement that many of our uh, students at the university, Christian students, will not be talked out of their faith, but they will be mocked out of their faith. Mm. So the question is, are we preparing them to be able to stand strong despite the cultural opposition. And another topic that you raised, and I need to emphasize it, is the whole topic of collective demonization. I discussed this in my chapter on uh, propaganda. Collective demonization was begun in Russia, where when the state found a dissenter and vilified him, everyone else chimed in. In Nazi Germany, there were churches that put up swastikas on their doors saying, in effect, that when you come for the Christians, don't come for us because we are on your side. Oh. So you have collective demonization, and that's exactly what wow. you see going on today. With great clarity, somebody is deplatformed. We have that even in the uh, baseball arena where the baseball game is taken out of uh um, atlanta and Mm -hmm. played elsewhere at the Mm -hmm. all-star game and what you have is this dominoes now the reason for that churchill perhaps said it best he said an appeaser is someone who feeds the alligator with the hope that the alligator will eat him last
1: Mm, oh my goodness yeah yeah (laughs) wow yeah and that's look that's exactly okay so so brother Lutzer, right okay um let's let's okay we don't do political correctness on this program we just we don't so here is what i have been saying this is what will the great and i've been talking about and and i i want to get your take on this so we are in a moment where well we've always been in this moment but here we are in america okay the church in 21st century america we've got to speak with great clarity with great boldness we can we we cannot <laughs> we cannot in the church protect cowardice like we've got to say we have one claim, and it is the claim that we have received. It is not a claim that we have created, right? So, one of the things I've said, and we've mentioned just in this interview, critical race theory several times, because this is the hot topic right now. This is a thing that the church is being, as you said, well, another example, but shamed into accepting. Right. Oh, well, we've got this past, and we've got this history, and so how do we make atonement, and how do we, you know, how do we find true forgiveness, and all of these things? So, we've got to accept. Cultural Marxism. Here is what I am strongly suggesting. Black Christians in this moment must stand up and say, that is a lie. (laughs) And black Christians, Christians who are black, however you wanna say it, must stand up and say, the truth that we have received is still the truth. And And I think we are in that moment where it's going to take almost sort of like an abolitionist movement, right? Where you have white Christians who are standing up and speaking for black christians who cannot speak for themselves and in the current cultural climate that we're in it's going to take black christians doing that today and saying you know what we reject that and you know what i stand with my brother and my sister who's white and we reject that they need to have some different type of repentance in order for them to be forgiven doctor Lutzer, your thoughts
0: well i point out in the book that actually christianity has an answer that critical race theory does not have Critical race theory continues to insist that we must shout at one another across racial fences, that there cannot be reconciliation Mm -hmm. until there is justice, defined, of course, like um, social justice, and that we could go on as to what all that means. But think of what the Church says. The Church of Jesus Christ says this, The differences between us are not that great. We are all ultimately of one race. Mm-hmm. We come together at the foot of the cross. And what unifies us is our need for the gospel because we are all sinners. And after we receive Christ, we are one. At the Lord's table, there's no black places and come white on. spaces and, uh, you know, brown spaces. Yeah. And now having received God's forgiveness, we ask ourselves this question how can we work together to make things better, which is, of course, what the gospel calls us to do, so that it isn't as if we're standing on opposite sides, just shouting at one another and blaming Mm -hmm. and shaming each other, but we are brought together in Christ. So your point is well taken. We are united in Christ. You know, Paul in the book of Colossians talked about the fact that there were barbarians uh-huh. and there were uh, <laughs> slaves Scythians. and free and That's Greek right. yeah. and so forth mm-hmm. and Gentiles all brought together under the banner of Christ. That's right. That's a message that the world has to That's hear right. <laughs> because critical race theory intends, and I can't emphasize this enough, that we continue to simply shout at each other without any reconciliation. According to Marx, there can only be reconciliation when the oppressed overcome the oppressors. But no matter how much the oppressors um, pander to the culture, it is never enough, and it can never be enough, because the conflict must go on endlessly
1: the thing that has been so surprising to me um, even in light of all that you just articulated what has been so surprising to me is that a other gospel okay an other gospel of which paul says there is not one it is surprising to me that something as insidious as what we're discussing has made its way into the church and has done so without being, at least it appears to me without being largely detected by the body of Christ. It it is just insidious the way that this has happened. And I'm wondering if this is the place where we start to talk about um, propaganda and how, how us just kind of not being aware of what is meant to manipulate and to control us, how it overtakes us.
0: Yes, exactly. And how I go back to this point. It has to do with language. It has to do with what you mean by what you say. You know, when Hitler starved children, he called it putting them on a low-calorie diet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that has to be helpful for people is to distinguish between social justice with its sexual radicalism and all the other things that are attached to it, and biblical justice. Mm -hmm. See, one of the problems is Christians hear the word justice, and then they read in Micah, you know, what does the Lord require of you but to walk humbly and to do justice, and then after they've read that text, they accept the whole social justice movement, Mm -hmm. not knowing what's in that box, to use the analogy I did just a few moments ago, they do all that with the hope that somehow they want to be on the side of justice, Mm -hmm. and who doesn't want to be on the side of justice? The Bible has a lot to say about justice, but what they don't understand is that the word justice is pressed into service to bring about Marxism. So you have, mm-hmm. you know, economic justice, you have, of course, uh, issues such as, um, uh, you know, economic justice, you have environmental justice, marriage reproductive justice,
1: justice,
0: and on and on it goes.
1: Yeah, re- reproductive justice. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, you... that's the word I was looking for, reproductive justice.
1: <laughs> that just so, sprang out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, people have to understand that unless we get behind the words, we can be easily deceived because good words are being used for a bad purpose.
1: Good words are being used for a bad purpose. And I think that's the type of work that for the Christian, we've been hesitant to apply ourselves to. We've we've not given ourselves to understanding what the current narratives are and how we best combat those with the truth contained in scripture. And I think that's what we've got to do increasingly. There is so much more that we can touch on, but we are almost out of time. And what I want to do at this point, Dr. Lutzer, is I I want to have you just address our listening audience here with your final thoughts um, on where we are as the church and what our steps right now must be.
0: Well, the steps very basically are this. We cannot be co-opted by the left or the right. Mm -hmm. What we have is a message that transcends culture, that transcends race, that transcends politics. So the question is this. Are we willing to stand and to recognize that Jesus predicted that days like this would come. Mm. And he said, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And of course that happens on social media all the time, but rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So unless we have a heavenly perspective, we're always gonna be paralyzed in our witness because we're always gonna ask the question, how is this going to sound? Niemöller, during the days of Hitler, said, when somebody said, how do you think this Mm -hmm. makes us look here on earth? And Niemöller says, it doesn't matter. The question is, how do we look in heaven?
3: Mm, So unless Christians
0: have that perspective, we will always submit to the culture.
1: The book is We Will Not Be Silenced. The author, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, we are out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing.
2: God bless.